0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Why are you talking about songs? Well, not just because we do a lot of Christmas caroling this time of the year, but because if you really would read through Luke chapters 1 and 2, the first Christmas story, it's a musical. Did you know that? You've got Zachariah singing out. You've got Mary singing out. You've got the angels singing. And you even have Simeon singing. All four songs are located there. And um, it's a musical. And there's a reason why human beings sing. We sing out of joy. Often we sing because it connects us to who we are, as well as what's going on around us in so many ways. And you can find throughout the Bible and the whole biblical story, time and time again, when great things are happening, when God does amazing things, God is, uh, people sing. And we can see Miriam and Moses, <clears throat> when God rescued the slaves who were the Israelites out of Egypt, They broke out in song after their rescue at the Red Sea. And Hannah, she declares God's glory and goodness after having been barren for year after year after year. And she gives thanks to God for who he is in song in the book of Samuel at his birth. (laughs) And finally, even in the great prophet Isaiah, we go through 11 chapters in that book describing how Um, The Messiah who will come is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And then we get to chapter 12 to sum up all of this. And Isaiah states, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust in him and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Now I know, I I can carry a tune. And I've been singing since I was a really little kid. In fact, Miss Marcy. My kindergarten teacher told my parents, I don't remember this. I'm kind of glad I don't. Maybe I shouldn't share this, but I loved singing in kindergarten so much. I was in the bathroom and the class started to sing. I run out and join in, and I hadn't even pulled up my pants. <laughs> I know. But you know, you kind of forget yourself when you're singing. Sometimes in a good way, sometimes not so good. And there's something about it. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert or been to a, a, a service of some type where you've got a huge crowd and you are just, you can't even hear yourself. Everybody is singing with you and you are just rejoicing. It's just a little taste of what we're going to experience before our God and Savior, who is coming to rescue us and to love us. So today, we are going to start maybe nowhere better than in the Psalms. The Psalms are so- many times songs of praise, and specifically Psalm 96 and 98, by the way. The two of them together were used to compose the lyrics to the- a one song called Joy to the World, The Lord is Come. So we're going to read Psalm 96, and after that, um, talk about it today. Okay? So here it is. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He shall judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar at all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness." This psalm is astonishingly happy celebratory, joyful. All nations, all creation, all parts of the world are called, and they do, in harmony together, sing and rejoice and ascribe to the Lord. All these words, right? And it kind of begs the question, um, because it ain't the world that we know, right? There's a huge disconnect between this psalm and what's going on right now, or has been going on, <laughs> or will be going on. This world just does not seem to at all be described in this psalm. What, so why? Why is this recorded this way? What are we supposed to get out of this? Um, is it just this type of song? And then we go like, but that's totally inaccessible and impossible. and. It could make you kind of feel like kind of the letdown. I think um, AJ and I we did a uh, po- one of our podcasts from the Wings Up podcast. We were talking about how we have these expectations of what the holidays are going to bring, and then the reality <laughs> happens, right? And that's where our high expectations and the reality comes in. And this psalm is totally up here, you know, in the stratosphere as to what and how this world is to be. And here's our reality. And this Christmas time, this Advent season, it seems like lower than ever with the wars and the conflicts and the tribalism and the divisions. I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm just trying to say, what's, what's, what's going on here? And what I think we see here in this psalm is that, first of all, the answer's here to what's going on. There is an invitation here for you to join in, an invitation to ascribe to the Lord, to worship, to sing, to rejoice. And in this invitation, we see what God is actually doing in this world. So today, we're going to go through three points, the invitation to ascribe, the invitation to sing, and the invitation to welcome his coming. So, first, the invitation to ascribe. The psalm puts it this way, and it uses the word ascribe time and again. It's probably a word you don't use too often, but ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. That is, recognize the glory of God, to recognize who he is. You aren't giving him glory that he doesn't already have. You aren't making things up to try to figure it out. You're not amping it up. You're not really magnifying anything that's not already there. You're just opening yourself up to the reality of God's goodness and glory to ascribe. What's fascinating in this psalm, if you haven't read, when you read through it, and what uh, James also kind of shared, is nature is already doing this. Nature is already ascribing to the Lord just by the wind being the wind and the waves being the waves and the beauty of the forests and the mountains and the sunsets and the sunrise. The whole of nature is describing and ascribing to God the glory due his name. It's the humans that aren't quite doing it, (laughs) right? Like Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You can read in Paul's letter, he describes this himself in the first chapter of Romans where he says, all the invisible attributes, namely God's eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. That is, they are we. We are really without an excuse of why we are not ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name. But all of creation is telling us to get in with it, get in sync with what God is already doing. Paul tells us what's really going on among human beings. Right after that verse in Romans 1, he says, for although they knew God, that's you and me, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things." That's what Paul was seeing in Roman society. That's what we've seen since the beginning, because human beings who (laughs) are to be reflecting God's glory, giving God the glory ascribing to him who he really is, but instead we turn our gaze upon ourselves. We give ourselves the glory and other created things. We use them to get glory. It's called idolatry. Finding things, lifting them up, using them to try to get ourselves some more glory. And that's what's really been going on. Um, David Foster Wallace was um, a professor and an author, and he once wrote, I think, in his one book, um, he said this: "We're all dying to give our lives away to something." We're all dying to give our ways a li- uh, our lives away to something." So people have been Now. You might say, well, you could see it's pretty easy to see people giving themselves away to this idol or that idol in you know, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, or in this culture or that culture, how they set up and then worship that. But we're all doing that. Even in our modern society, we are not beyond that. Uh, we believe something that has worth and value. We honor it. We lift it up. We give ourselves away to our jobs. We think from them, you know, we're going to get all the accolades and recognition and appreciation. And we give ourselves away to pursuit of fame. We give ourselves away to um, (laughs) the pursuit of popularity. We give ourselves away to leisure. And lately, I've really noticed people have given themselves away to politics and certain causes. And somehow they think, if this happens, then I really will be a part of glory. (laughs) Yeah. And the Psalm says, all those things that we give ourselves away to, if they're not God, they're not that good, and they won't last. Whatever you give yourself away to, that is what really is your functional God. And this psalm puts it this way in Psalm 96.5, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. God is the only one in the Bible who is ascribed all glory. Because God is the only one who has created anything. Everything else is a creation. Everything else is dependent on God. God is the only one who is and will be and was and never needs nothing, is totally holy, separate from this creation in that sense. He's the only one to be ascribed any glory. Everything else depends on him. And when I compare everything else to God, everything else is kind of paltry. I don't know if you know this, the Hebrew word for glory is called kavod. And when we talk about glory, we often just think of something bright and shiny, I guess, that's glorious. But the word actually means weightiness or substantiality. It is the fact that it is the real like deal. Um, it's the when God shows up, everyone is in awe because whoa, he's here. There is something true and substantial and weighty about him. And everything else doesn't have it in comparison. For instance, in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, the teacher in that book gives himself away to various things, to fame, to the pursuit of money and pleasure and building projects. He gives himself away to everything that he can think of. And he says again and again throughout that book, 33 times, actually, in 12 chapters, he uses the word hevel. chevel, which means smoke, vapor, nothing, vanity of vanities, he says. It's just empty. It looks like something. You know how smoke looks like there's something there, and then when you grab it, it's like gone? That's the way things are in this world. And when someone pursues their their lives to seek glory in all sorts of other things, this Psalm is saying, anytime you do that, you're going to end up empty, without any substance. Who's the singer? She's very, she saying, is that all there is? Is that all there is? What's her name? Patty Klein? No. Peggy Lee. Peggy Lee. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Well, if that's all there is, let's break out the booze and dance, something like that, because that's all there is. People are doing that, because that's what they think. That's all there is. Hevel. Only God gets the glory. So how do you then ascribe to God such glory? How do you understand his weightiness? How do you open yourself up to it? And this Psalm, I think, tells us how, and that is to sing. We are invited to sing. It's not enough to admit that God has glory. The whole psalm doesn't want us to just acknowledge God and just kind of assent to who he is, but to rejoice, to celebrate, to just break out into song because we just can't hold it back anymore. We sing to the Lord. And Christmas is a time of those songs as we have said. There are songs of salvation throughout the Psalms. There are songs of Mary giving praise to God for lifting up the lowly and tearing down those who are proud. Of Zechariah and the angels themselves. Paul's letter to the Ephesians tells us why it might be a good thing that we give ourselves into singing. He says it this way. Do not get drunk with wine, but that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ." So why is that, right? Why do we sing, he says? Because that is what gets you in touch with who your God is. St. Augustine, he knew that we are not really rational beings. Human beings aren't just thinking beings. We are, he says, desiring beings. Our desires move us. <laughs> and what we desire, we usually will sing about. He puts it this way, I perceive that our minds are more devoutly and earnestly elevated into a flame of piety by the holy words themselves when they are sung than when they are not, and that all affections of our spirit by their own diversity, have their appropriate measures in the voice and in singing. Singing, in a sense, is such a human thing. It's putting together both our emotions, our intellect, our body, our whole selves, and giving ourselves away to something when you sing. And you may be totally embarrassed with your voice, but I'd like us all to be kind of like that little girl who's just given it her all, and she doesn't care because there is something to be sung. She's been told to do it, and she's going to give herself away. And yes, that can be very vulnerable for you. But you're going to give your your life to something. I can't think of anything more worthy or glorious than God and what he is about. (laughs) One of... The hymns I grew up with puts it this way. Oh, for a 1,000 tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumph of his grace. The whole hymn focuses on the goodness and glory of God. And that's what triumphs through the psalm in this world. It's God's goodness and glory, and that's why they can sing. It's not about, oh, let's look at what we're doing. There is no praise for, look at what I've done in this psalm. It's all about who God is, what he has done, and how we can respond to it. It's when God is ruling in this world with his love and mercy and grace then everything is in tune. We all can celebrate. So um, we are invited then finally to welcome the coming of God. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. In one sense. This psalm is very subversive. It's telling us that this world is a mess, but it will not stay that way. It's telling us that this world is out of whack, but this is the future that is coming. Because God is the one who comes into this world. God doesn't wait. He doesn't remain aloof. You find throughout the scriptures, he's always involved with his creation. He's always there. He is not the God of the deists, of the Enlightenment thinkers who thought that God kind of just created this world, set up all the natural things like a watch, and walked away and let it run its course. God has been concerned about you and concerned about this world ever since he said, let there be light. And he has never stayed away. And he doesn't just emerge from whatever's happening. In fact, he comes. He brings himself into the midst of it. He invades his own world to straighten it out. This season has been called the season of Advent by the Christian Church for um, Hundreds and hundreds of years. I don't know if you know, behind that word advent or adventus in Latin is the Greek word, I don't have this slide, just let me know, perousia, which means the appearing or the coming. That is, God comes from the future into the present to change everything. That's what Advent is about. It's a God breaking in to his own creation and to making a difference. And we see that. We see that exactly happening at the first Christmas with Jesus Christ. He came and broke in to save this world. He placed himself into the brokenness of this world smack dab in the middle of political turmoil and conflict of his day, of theological turmoil and definitions of who God is and what God is about, the ethnic unrest of the Roman Empire. And he came and did not reign from above, but placed himself at the lowest of the low, being born and placed in a manger for a maternity ward. I don't know of anybody who'd want their child to be born and placed in a cow stall, you know? Not too hygienic, from what I can tell. And that is the God of the universe and what he did for you. And immediately, he's threatened. His whole life is threatened by Herod, the king, on the throne. That's the first Christmas. And this psalm rejoices that when God comes, everything changes and everything is placed right. That's what righteousness means, right relationships. And God is going to come and bring everything right, put it back. You know, we see that it says he will judge the world in righteousness. And we think, I know. It's so hard not to think of Judge Judy. <laughs> or some judge behind, you know, kind of a podium or what, the bench with the gavel. That's never the picture in the Bible of a judge. The book of Judges is filled with judges, by the way. Judges are people who come in to rescue, to straighten things out for God's people, to care for the oppressed, to raise them up, and to get rid of the oppressors. The biggest judgment God made in the Hebrew Bible is the judgment called the Exodus in the Red Sea where God rescues the slaves and Egypt and all its pomp and arrogance is, loses. That's the judgment. So when God comes to judge, he is coming to judge and to rescue you. The whole world, this psalm says, is waiting for that redemption, that rescue. It wants to be liberated from the prison that it's been in. The trees want to sing for joy. The fields want to exalt. They want to even do it more than they are doing it now. You see, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that all creation It's been waiting around and eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility because of him who subjected it in hope that all creation will be set free from all its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We are all awaiting, all of creation is holding its breath and waiting for Jesus to come, to come again to free you and me, to free us so that we turn into who God has always wanted us to be. Derek Kidner, um, I think this is my last slide, by the way. um, So I've got them out of order right now. Derek Kidner does a good job in his commentary on Psalm 96 when he says this. He says, where God rules, his humblest creatures can be themselves. Isn't that beautiful? That's what this psalm is describing. It's describing how everything is just right where God rules, where he comes to be king of the universe, king of your life and mine. You can be yourself. Where God, where there is God, there is singing. All creation. At the creation, the morning star sang together. At his coming, the earth will at last join in again. Meanwhile, the Psalter itself shows what effect his presence has on those who, even though, through a glass, darkly already see his face. We sing in that anticipation of what God is doing. And every time that you sing a song to the Lord, a new song, when you ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name, you are doing something very subversive in this world. You are saying that he is the one who rules. This is the future of this world. This is where everything is heading. And all the powers and rules, the Caesars and presidents and kings and everyone else, they they aren't making the decisions that ultimately last. It is Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, that makes it. And he does so as um, the glorious Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, says, mild. He lays his glory by. The glory that he had, the weightiness that he had, everything that Jesus had, he sets it all aside to be born for you and for me. And upon the cross, All of his glory, he sets aside. And his life ends up being hevel, smoke, a vapor. He dies so that he can give his glory to you, that he can take our emptiness, our foolishness upon himself. Mild he lays his glory by, born that we no more may die, born to raise us from the earth, born to give us a second birth. So I think this psalm may seem out of sync with the reality of today. And I think that is so good news, such good news. You are invited to ascribe, to sing, and to welcome. You're invited to be who you were made to be, singing of God's glory, welcoming Jesus as your King this Advent and Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you this day for your word, for this psalm. Thank you, Lord, that you break in and you have broken in. 2,000 years ago, you came into this world undercover. in the infant, in the child, in your life, Lord Jesus, vulnerable and open to all the pains and agonies of this world, and you gave yourself over. You gave yourself over to us so that we might give ourselves to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the victory that is won through your death and resurrection. Thank you that we will one day ascribe you all the glory to your name, and we will with all creation be singing and shouting and dancing for joy. We thank you for that. This Christmas season, this time of Advent as we anticipate Christmas itself, Lord, attune us. To your goodness and grace, attune us to the gospel, the good news that we have received this day, that our lives may respond with joy in service to others, in love for others, and in love and trust of you, Lord Jesus. We lift up to you this day some people we know that are facing difficult times. We ask that you would be with Bob um, Beverly, who is now in rehab, that you bring your healing there. We also ask, oh Lord God, that you would be with Linda as she is now in hospice care. We pray that you would uh, truly bless Haley's mom, uh, keep her in your care, direct her, Lord, and uh, gather the family together, Lord, to celebrate your goodness and grace. Um, Lord, we know she's gonna be singing your songs. We know she's going to be celebrating. We know she is going to ascribe to you all the glory due to your name. May we join her now. And, um, Lord God, prepare our hearts to receive your glory, the weight of who you are, as you give yourself in the Lord's Supper to us this day. Forgive us, Lord. We know. <laughs> we know if we would say we have no sin, we'd just be deceiving ourselves and not you. The truth would not be in us, but we confess our sin and you are faithful, you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we ask that you'd use, uh, open our hands to receive all of your goodness this day and that you would also open our hearts and our lives to respond and ascribe you all the glory and that you would even open up and use our offerings that we will offer in just a moment, Lord, to display your glory in this world. That's what this world needs more than anything else, is to see your goodness, your grace, and your glory. All these things we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.